Let us pray together. Heavenly Father, we come before you and uh, we thank you and we praise you for this day which you've given to us to gather together. Uh, We thank you for these three who are to be confirmed uh, today. Uh, Lord, thank you for their faith. Thank you for their testimony. And I thank you, Lord, that this congregation will be blessed by hearing their testimonies today. So, Lord, as we open your word today and as we look at your word, uh, teach us about the foundation that you've given to us and the assurance that you've given to us in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Lord, may we uh, be a people who stand with confidence, with faith in you by your Holy Spirit. So open our hearts, open our minds. Lord Jesus, we pray that we would uh, be a people that truly do not know you and love you and follow you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. So today we do have the joy of welcoming Melissa, Matthew, and Ian uh, into our congregation as confirmed believers in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. They have studied God's word for two years using the explanation of Luther's small catechism with the Bible, the Bible being their primary source of of, of learning. Uh, Martin Luther, he wrote his small catechism uh, 500 years ago. He wrote this small catechism after witnessing the fact that the the church at large uh, really didn't know the basics of the Christian faith. So Luther understood that he needed a simple tool to give to families in which they could uh, teach their children uh, the Lord's Prayer, the Apostles' Creed, about the sacraments and about the chief parts of the Holy Bible. So these three have had the opportunity to study Luther's small catechism and to learn the chief parts of Christian doctrine. When Christian college students are asked what they wish they had learned in Sunday school and in youth group, what they had learned as teenagers, almost all of them when surveyed wished that they had learned what they believe as professing Christians and why they believe it. What they believe and why they believe it. And what confirmation does uh, during that two years of instructions is it gives Uh, to teenagers the beginning of an understanding of what they believe and why they believe it. And then that beginning of of instruction then will uh, put them on a foundation uh, for lifelong learning and lifelong development in their Christian faith. So the source, the source of our faith, the source of our life as Christians is God's Word. It is the Bible. The Bible is our foundation. It is the foundation that we build our lives upon, and it's, and it's our prayer for you, and, and it's our prayer for this entire congregation, and really for our community and for our world, is that, is that people would come to understand that the, the Word of God, that Christ in His Word is the one true foundation that we can truly build our lives upon. Jesus told a parable parable about the importance of building our lives upon his word. In Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 through 27, and I do have a handout here for you today. 
Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 through 27, just after Jesus had finished giving his great Sermon on the Mount, he says this. And this is, if you grew up in church, this is a, a very familiar uh, part of God's Word. There's even a Sunday school song that goes along with it. How many of you remember the Sunday school song uh, from this passage? Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 through 27. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house. But it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. What a striking example Jesus gives to us. A man who builds his house without a secure foundation versus the man who does build his house on a very secure foundation. All of the elements of, of life, the, the, the weather and, and all the things that, that beat against the house um, are really an analogy of life in the real world, right? Because each and every one of us, we face difficulties, we face storms, we, we face hardships in this life. Where is your foundation? What is your foundation built upon? Is it built upon God's word? Or is it built upon the shifting sands of this world and what this world believes, happens to believe today? Today they're going to believe, they're going to say one thing, tomorrow they're going to say another thing. Where is your foundation? What are you building your life upon? Today. In 1989, an earthquake hit the San Francisco Bay Area. Two structures, and images of them are on your handout today. One was the uh, Golden Gate Bridge. After they had investigated and uh, inspected the Golden Gate Bridge, they found absolutely no damage. There was no damage done to the Golden Gate Bridge. And it just, it held together when that earthquake just shook. And it even shook uh, TV stations off the air. It shook so hard. Uh, now, the Golden Gate Bridge was, was made a long time ago. I can't remember the, the year. I think it was back in the 30s. Maybe it was started in the 20s. There was another one. It was called the, another structure that was newer, newer engineering. You would think that, that newer engineering would bring about superior construction. Uh, it was called the Cypress Viaduct, and, and what a tragedy. Uh, none of our confirmation students remember this because they weren't alive then, but I remember turning on the TV and seeing that, and then my parents telling me what had happened and that there were cars and people trapped when that double-decker freeway collapsed and pancaked on top of one another. What an awful, awful thing. Well, as, in, as engineers investigated and as they... they uh, wrote a report, they realized that this viaduct was built on what they call bay mud, 
and on fill. It didn't have its foundation on bedrock. Now, the Golden Gate Bridge's foundation was on bedrock, so when that, when that earthquake shook, it stood firm, but this viaduct, it fell because it really wasn't built on bedrock. It didn't have its foundation on the rock. And this can be an analogy of, of our lives, too. What is the foundation of your life? What is the foundation of your life? Is the foundation of your life Jesus Christ and his word? Or is it something else? If it's anything but Jesus and his word, it, it is not a foundation that will, that will stand the storms and, and the hardships and the difficulties and the temptations and the suffering and, and the storms that we experience in this life. So build your life on the foundation of God's word. That's what confirmation begins to give to us. It begins to give to us that foundation which we need to continue to build upon. Some people uh, say that confirmation is graduation from church. <laughs> and I've seen this happen too many times. Kids are confirmed, and then after they're confirmed, you never see them in church again. Confirmation is not graduation from church. It's the beginning. It's the beginning of saying, this is what I believe. This is what I believe. I may not understand everything. I, 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 I still have doubts. I still have questions. I still have a lot to learn. And guess what? So do I. And if you're honest, you'll say the same thing. So do I. But here we have a foundation. And the foundation is God's word. Now, at the end of, of the catechism, I have, basically, this is, I took my outline for the sermon from the, the last pages of the catechism um, that they studied, or the explanation of the catechism, and um, so they're going to help me preach the sermon today, all right? Are you guys ready to help me preach? All right. This is the foundation that we have. This is the assurance that we have. We can know who we are. We can know where we're going in life. We can know where we came from. Because God's word has given us this fundamental foundation in life. So I believe we're starting with Matthew. Matthew, according to God's word, who are you? By God's grace, if I am a believer in and a follower of Jesus, I am a child of God. John 1:12, Jesus says, but to all who did receive him, who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who are born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Who are you? Who are you? You are a child of God. You believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are his child. That is who you are. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to be called children, children of God. That is who you are. In a confusing world, in a world of shifting sand, in a world of shaking ground, you can know who you really are. You can know who you are.
in Jesus Christ. And you can live with confidence in the reality that you are a child of God. You can know this through God's word. Read his word. Trust his word. Believe his word. Know that you are a child of God. That is who you are. Number two. Melissa, according to God's word, where did you come from? God allowed me to be conceived and watched over me even before my birth. Psalm 139 says, For you were formed in my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the deeps, depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance, and your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. Where did you come from? You're not an accident. You may have been a surprise in your parents' timing, right? But in God's eyes, you're not an accident. God doesn't make mistakes. He doesn't make mistakes. For a purpose, for a reason, you were born. He knit you together in your mother's womb. You are fearfully and you are wonderfully made. Doesn't this give us an amazing sense of confidence in God in this life? Know that no one who is born is born by accident. Every human being conceived in this world is precious to God. Knowing that God knows you and formed you gives life its true purpose and meaning. You are known by God. You are known by him. He knows you better than you know yourself, and he, he knows you better than anybody else in this world knows you. He knows you. He knows everything about you, and he loves you. He formed you into the very person he wants you to be. No mistakes, no accidents. And he loves you more than you could ever imagine. Number three, Ian, according to God's word, why are you here on earth? I am here to glorify God my Savior. Isaiah 43 says, Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the end of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. You are here on earth for one purpose. For one purpose, to know the saving power of God in Jesus Christ and to bring glory to his holy name, to know him as Savior, and by knowing him as Savior, we live our lives in such a way that we bring to him, not to ourselves, but to him, all the glory and all the honor in everything that we do in life. You see, it's easy to seek glory for myself. It's easy to, to live for me to make life about me. Have you discovered that in life? It's easy to make it all about me. But there is a far greater purpose in life than me. It's Jesus. It is Jesus. To lift up his name, to tell others of his mighty name, and to do all that we do for his glory and for his honor and to the praise of his magnificent name. Go back to Matthew. According to God's word, where are you going? Because of Jesus' uh, resurrection, 
I have the certainty of eternal life forever in the presence of God. John 11 says, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. So here we have Jesus at the graveside of Lazarus. Lazarus had just had died, and Jesus had delayed and going to see Lazarus. He had been in the grave for four days. Here Jesus says that he has victory. He has absolute power and he has absolute authority even over death. He is the resurrection and the life. Where are you going? Because of his resurrection, you can have the certainty of eternal life forever in the presence of God. Those who believe on the Lord Jesus Christ are given the promise of salvation and the promise of life everlasting. He is the resurrected Savior. He is the resurrection and the life. He proved that at the tomb of Lazarus when he simply called to the tomb and said, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus came out after being in in the grave for four days, and he proved this in his own resurrection. After three days, he rose again to life everlasting. And he has promised to you resurrection. He has promised to you everlasting life forever in the presence of God Almighty. So I ask this question now, what is required of you to receive this gift? What do you need to do to to receive the gift of life everlasting? The answer is surprising. You don't do anything. You don't do anything. Because Jesus did it for you. He did everything. He accomplished absolutely everything for you so that you have this assurance that on the day that you enter into eternity that you are in God's presence. Jesus does it for you. He even grants you repentance. Repentance is a gift from him. Faith is a gift from him. Faith, which holds on to these promises, the promises of God's love, his forgiveness and grace. It's all because of Jesus. It's all about him. I have nothing to do with it. It has nothing to do with with my effort or your effort. It has everything to do with the effort of Jesus Christ in his sinless life, in his atoning death, the blood that washes away our sins, and in his victorious resurrection. It's a free gift. It's for you. Believe it. Receive it. Live in it. Experience the freedom that it brings. Then number five, Melissa. According to God's word, how can you be sure of having eternal life and finally one day entering eternal life in heaven with God forever? I can be sure of eternal life because of God's promise to me in the Bible. 1 John 5 says, And this is the testimony, that God gave us eternal life and this, and this life in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does, not, whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. That you may know I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. 
and this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his, we will, he, will he hear us? And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. Amen. This is the confidence that you can have, confidence. Do you know what it means to have confidence? It's a Latin word, it's a compound word. It means con, with, and fide, faith, with faith. You can stand with confidence today. Not in your efforts, not in what you have done, not in your actions. You see, we can stand with confidence in God's word as a foundation. We can stand with confidence in Jesus Christ. We can have absolute assurance that all of these promises from God in the Bible are ours. They belong to us. And now it's, it's, it's very difficult to find, to find a sermon illustration on the absolute assurance that we're given in the gospel. I think it's difficult to find one because there aren't very many things in this life that we can be absolutely sure of, right? Death, yes. Taxes, absolutely. But beyond that, there aren't very many things that we can be absolutely assured of. Here's something that you can be assured of. Jesus loves you. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter what you will do in the future. He loves you. Stand with that confidence. Stand with that assurance. Jesus died for you. He shed his blood for you because of his love for you. Life has purpose. Life has meaning. Life is not meaningless. Because with Jesus, with Jesus, life takes on. And, and with Jesus, uh, life, uh, we can form our lives with its ultimate meaning and its ultimate purpose. So this life isn't meaningless. It has the absolute most significant meaning that there possibly could be with Jesus. Life has meaning, and you have the promise of eternal life because of God's promise to you in the Bible. What a foundation we have. Build your life upon his word. Read his word. Highlight his word. Underline his word. Find those promises. Stand upon them. Pray them. Find your great confidence in God. Amen. This time we'll begin the confirmation uh, portion of it. I'll have the confirmands come up and take your seats, please. And in a moment here, I'm going to have... Uh, after they give their testimonies, which I'm excited for you to hear their testimonies, um, the parents will actually come up during the confirmation blessing. So we begin. Beloved in the Lord, our Lord Jesus Christ, our Lord said to his apostles, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Now you have been baptized, and 
You have been taught in the Christian faith according to the Lord's bidding. Jesus said, whoever confesses me before men, I will also confess before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. Lift up your hearts, therefore, to the God of all grace, and joyfully give answer to what I now ask you in the name of the Lord. So I ask you these questions. Do you this day in the presence of God and of this congregation acknowledge the gifts that God gave you in your baptism? Yes, yes, I do. do you renounce the devil? Yes, I renounce do you renounce all his works? Yes, I renounce do you renounce all his ways? Yes, I renounce do you believe in God the Father Almighty? Do you believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord? Do you believe in the Holy Spirit? Do you hold all of the prophetic scriptures to be the inspired word of God? Do you confess the doctrines of the Lutheran Church drawn from the scriptures as you, as you have learned to know it from the small catechism to be faithful and true? Do you intend to hear the word of God and to receive the Lord's Supper faithfully? Do you intend to live according to the word of God and in faith, word, and deed to remain true to God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, even to death? Do you intend to continue steadfast in this confession and church, that is the Christian church, and to suffer all, even death, rather than fall away from it? We rejoice with thankful hearts that you have been baptized and have received the teaching of the Lord. You have confessed the faith. You have been absolved of your sins. As you continue to hear the Lord's word and to receive his blessed sacrament, may he who has begun a good work in you bring it to completion in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. We are going to go to the testimonies now. I believe, Matthew, you're going first. Good morning. Uh, I'm going first because they didn't want to go first. So <laughs> I had last say in this whole situation. Um, so uh, back when we had Alan Johnson as our youth pastor, this was uh, a few years ago, uh, I, 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 I still remember one specific talk he did, one uh, specific intro that he started the thing with. And it was, uh, he, he was explaining the biggest fears in the world, uh, how they were ranked between how how many people feared certain things. And the one that, and what surprised me was the fear on the top. The biggest fear in the world was public speaking. People were deathly afraid of public speaking. Fun fact, death was like number eight, so people weren't that afraid of dying. <laughs> spiders was around six, so people were very afraid of spiders as well. Uh, but but what, what really shocked me about people being afraid of public speaking is I've always seen it as something that I was somewhat good at. And I, I just never saw it as like that bad of a thing. Like I'm kind of nervous right now, but 
I'm not deathly afraid of it. And so it, it always made me wonder why I was good at it and why other people weren't. And this led me to my road of finding my gifts that I have been given by God. Now from there, I will read Proverbs 18:16, which is, a man's gift makes room for him and brings him before the great. Uh, I, much like my dad, uh, have sleep apnea. I believe I actually got it from having his jaw structure, so thank you. Uh, but that caused me to uh, not grow or get any sleep or any rest while I was a kid. And so I, never, so I just couldn't really hang out with friends. I couldn't do anything past 8.30 because I had to be in bed by then. Otherwise, I would have a terrible day the next day. And it was just a really weird life. I had a lot of, I had a lot of hurdles to uh, jump over as a kid. And while being one of the smallest kids in my class, hurdles were very hard to jump. So it, it, it got really hard and it, it had me struggling in a lot of things such as school and sports and stuff. It, it was just hard on me and it was harder than me on a kid, as a kid. But as I went into middle school, I had, I had a few years of being able to sleep and being able to grow and I started doing cross country. And it was surprising because not only were my academics going up with my uh, actual height as well, but I was also running and it started out as something I was absolutely terrible at. I had one of the worst times on our team. That was very fun, but it led on to, uh, I had a lot of drastic improvements throughout the two years in middle school with both my running and my academics. And it, it led me to believe that this was something I was good at and something that God had made me good at. Uh, while running, I remember one specific cross country race in I think it was eighth grade. We were running at the uh, college place course and I was about 300 meters away from the start line and I was all by myself and it was really quiet. And I just was running and I just kind of like lowered my hands a little bit, cleaned up my form and just closed my eyes and began to pray. I began to pray about myself, about the people I was running with, about the people in my life and I just began to pray. And this was when I discovered my well, one of my loves with running, which is just the peacefulness and the quietness that can come with it. Just going through a silent forest by yourself running with nothing but the wind and the sounds of your feet hitting the ground was one of the most peaceful things I've ever had. And it, it led me to wanting to do it more and more and I'm, I'm still continuing running to this day. Uh, one thing that I've, uh, one thing that I believe is the reasons why I'm running, or at least something I believe I figured out while running, is I was not meant to be the best one on our team by God. If I was supposed to be, then I wouldn't have had those 10 years of my life without being able to do sports. I, from years of running, I have found myself more as a supportive person than anything else while running. I've been supporting friends who have thought of backing out or thought of not doing something, and I've been there as kind of a supportive person to help them. And it's something that I believe that's why I was there to do it. I was there to be kind of a light in, in those people's lives. And so that was something I started doing. I also started going to Bible camp. And this is when I first started really finding God and really finding out who he was. Because I always went to church. I, I used to go to uh, Trinity. And then I ended up coming here six eight, or seven, eight years ago, probably. And 
I, I've been always going to church every Sunday, started going to church every Wednesday, and never really thought much of it. But going to Bible camp, I really started to see what church was and who God was and started to see what he was doing in my life. Uh, during one year, I believe it was in between middle school and my freshman year of high school, uh, we had a bonfire. And this is something that kind of stood out to me because we hadn't done it the years before. And in this bonfire, we were, it was kind of an open mic thing. We were allowed to go up and say what we wanted to. So I felt pulled and called to go up and speak there. Uh, that was the first time I've ever done any form of public speaking in front of a big group of people uh, in a church setting. And I ended up giving some form of my testimony, which I would later use uh, during a retreat uh, against my will. Uh, that was fun. <laughs> But it, 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 it gave me a great experience and it just allowed me to express thoughts that I had kept in that I hadn't really been able to express. Uh, during, one of the th during one of the talks, I ended up stealing a talking point from Pastor Greg, and I, and I hope I, I uh, did that one justice. But uh, this, this really just uh, helped cement in my mind that something that I was good at and something that I was gifted in was being able to speak in front of people and not just that but also speak in a kind loving way and even in a spiritual way and so uh, the year after that I ended up going to the youth convention uh, uh, with the youth group over in Colorado and while over there they had a bunch of workshops on what to do for you know Christian things uh, they had you know getting out of bad dates uh, or bad relationships um, fun with Bo, that, that, that was one of the workshops I went to, but one that I, I did go to, or I think I believe it was the first day, was Is God Calling Me? And it was the whole thing of, is God calling me to some form of ministry? I believe the person running it was a best friend of Dave or even his brother, I can't remember. But I remember going to that and thinking that this is something that I could see myself doing. I, this is something that I feel called to do and something I'm very interested in. And it just kept cementing this idea in my head of this is what I'm going to do. And so there was that going on. But sadly, uh, my life hasn't been like, you know, just full of, you know, great things of happening, of great running and great uh, talking experiences. There have been some lows in it, uh, as there always is. Uh, it, at, at the end of that uh, freshman year and beginning of this sophomore year of high school that I'm in, I started hitting some pretty uh, deep lows. I, I started uh, experiencing some pretty deep uh, depression and a lot of uh, self-regret uh, self and self-loathing. And it led me to uh, stray away from reading the Bible but started reading philosophy instead of all things. I, I, I don't know, I just, I, I haven't read for years and then suddenly I'm reading philosophy. It was weird stuff, but while reading it I uh, discovered one very uh, important thing that really spoke up to me, spoke out to me and has spoken to a lot of people in different ways, and it's uh, if a man is left to his own devices and is isolated, he will become depressed and self-loathing. And, and it really just made me wonder why would this happen and are these, now, and does this uh, count for the Bible? If someone is sure isolated and left to their own devices but left with a Bible, would they, would they still but they still go under these, these problems. And it made me wonder why would God even allow me or allow people to go through that. I remember going to Oregon and we, to visit some friends and I went to a youth group there and they talked about uh, the book of Job. That was that day's lesson. 
And that was explaining why God lets bad things happen. And even after going through that, I'm still wondering why do these things still happen? I still, I still go through these self-doubt and this, um, this doubt of the faith and of the things that God has done. But one thing that has uh, helped me get back to where, you know, where I am here, you know, standing up and confirming my faith is looking back upon what Martin Luther has done. I mean, he was someone who was a very big and very important person to the Christian faith, but still questioned it most of the time he was a follower. He never, he, he struggled finding a cement faith within, within God, even while having an entire church hunting him down. So that, that might've been a big problem. And so uh, now I've uh, slowly been moving past those days of, of that low. I, I feel like it'll, it might come back and it probably will come back at some point. But for now, I am you know, happy and reading the Bible and all that. And so it just, it, it, it just kind of leaves me with a reminder of what could happen if I uh, stray away and why I should stay with God of all and why, I sh- and why I shouldn't go and try to look for earthly happiness and I should be looking for spiritual happiness. And it just, it, it just uh, also led me into hoping to ha- get a better relationship with God. And so I've been keeping up with my running and other things that I believe are gifts from him so I can glorify him in multiple ways. And so in, in conclusion, I'd like to uh, close with uh, what Jesus' resurrection means to me. And this part is actually not scripted, so we'll see how this goes. Uh, what what Jesus' resurrection means to me is that someone who has died can pay for my sins uh, and will still love me for it. I mean, I, I have friends who will, you know, pay for food for me and then won't let me forget it for weeks. <laughs> and, but yet, here, here we have Jesus who didn't use real money, but was willing to get stabbed and tortured and died for me and was in, in one way hung or crucified for me. And instead of hating me and asking for me to repay it constantly and bugging me about it, he's up there watching me just saying, I love you because I did this. And so I just want you to come home. And it's, it's really powerful and it's really moving to me. And I hope you enjoyed my testimony. I think we might have a future preacher on our hands. Sign of a preacher is there's a lot of things uh, that they want to say and they're excited to say it. So thank you, Matthew. Appreciate that. Ian. Hi. Um, I'd like to start by reading the longest chapter in the Bible, Psalm 119. <laughs> blessed, are, blessed are those whose waves are blameless, who walk according to the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who, okay, this doesn't actually have anything to do with my testimony, so I'll start again. I have always lived in a Christian family. Because of this, I have heard the gospel since I was an infant. When I was actually old enough to somewhat understand the gospel, I accepted it without question, as I was just a young child then. In Mark 10, verse 15, and Luke 16, verse 17, which are the same for some reason, it says, Truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. However, I didn't really care about the gospel, though. I did what my parents made me do, such as praying and going to church, but I didn't do anything past that. 
The first time I remember trying to actually repent was when I was eight. I didn't really know how to repent then, as I thought I had to say and memorize an exact set of words. So I asked my mother several times on how to repent, but I could never memorize her words. Although with the help of my mother, I could repent. It wasn't much longer until I learned how to actually repent by myself. Since then, I still haven't made too many changes, as I don't pray as often as I should, although I pray sincerely. I go to church and youth group, and I go to Bible camp. I rarely just read the Bible by myself, and I only sometimes did my confirmation homework. I doubt God often, and sometimes question if he exists. I also get irritated at church when the sermon takes the service past an hour, as I get impatient waiting for cookies, so I think more about how long it's until the sermon is over instead of listening to the content of the sermon. However, I did get baptized a little over a year ago, and for the past few years I've been working ever, harder than ever on homework. There is still much for me to improve on. In 1 Thessalonians verse 5, verses 17 to 18, it says, Pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. I need to work on this because I don't pray often enough, and I have to be prompted to pray. I also need to read the Bible more often, and I could be more enthusiastic about church and youth group and actually listen to what the speaker is talking about. There, and there is much more that I could do. All in all, I need to put more trust in the Lord, and I need to be more open to doing religious things. In Proverbs 3, verses 5 to 6, it says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him, and he will make your path straight. Also, uh, Jesus' death and resurrection to me means that Jesus died on the cross and shed his blood to us so, to save us from our sins so that we could live forever. And with that, goodbye. Goodbye.